conferences, long agendas, big venues, always on your feet, barely getting to see the people that you want to see, and then, of course, the expense. Well, the three of us at Good Morning Hospitality are launching Good Morning Retreats. Our first retreat is this July 8th through the 10th at the Horse Hospitality Training School in Auburn, Alabama. If you go to goodmorningretreats.com, you'll find out more information about our first retreat that we're launching. We have already filled half the slots. We have 20 available and we have about 13 already filled. So make sure you go there, you apply, show your interest, and we'll get you all situated for our first ever Good Morning Retreat. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. And now back to the episode. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Good morning, hospitality. Mid-sip mid of Biscayne Bay coffee. Mid-sip, Biscayne Bay coffee. Get your coffee for 10% off at using or at BiscayneBayCoffee.com. Use Jump code. Straight into the sponsors this morning. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, we've talked a lot on this show about the woes of travel lately. And, you know, I had skated scot-free for a while until yesterday. So woke up in the countryside of Edinburgh or countryside of Scotland, flew out of Edinburgh, four hours late, missed my connection, got mm. home, got in bed around 1 a.m. I was supposed to get home around six. So yeah, the travel bug or, or issues caught up to me. I was going to say, we talked about it enough. It was just bound to happen. That's the thing. It was just bound to happen. Yeah. And hey, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't canceled or, or anything like that. So that's um, yeah, true. Steve Turk, thanks for the coffee this morning. Needed today more than uh, any other show I've done. Maybe last week. Last week was pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> last, last week was pretty rough. Uh, we actually got a couple comments, but uh, no big deal. Um, I'm actually excited for this one because this is actually a topic we've covered in the past. Uh, and obviously, I think storied as a great example of a why branding is a bigger topic for us i would say i think we go into the the discussion of big brand little brand no brand uh often and so this is something that we always like to refer back to and cheers to you steve turk again for biscayne bay coffee um i'm excited so before we jump in i think it's good to highlight kind of the the spark behind this topic um, just because, again, we've talked about it before, but seeing the recent data, normally we don't pull like a Skift article or anything, but uh, Skift came up with a report on hotels versus short-term rentals on branding on how kind of they stack against each other. And it was really interesting because it's proven 
the points that we've said before on the show. Um, but I also think, you know, with other articles that we've seen, you know, with like, let's say through focus wire, um, short-term rental demand hits high levels in U S and then of course, Altito is seeing the same thing rebound in Europe. So for us to see travel rebound in this sector, um, especially a sector that is not very well branded outside of, as we were talking about earlier, Airbnb, um, it's pretty interesting to see. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, travel is resilience through every downturn, through every major global catastrophe. Travel always returns. It's not, it's not yeah. a fad. It's it's similar to medicine that people people always need it. They have to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, jumping into the this skift um, research that that was posted. It's highlighting the things that we already know, and there's so much to digest uh, from this very obvious visual, but we can cut it and we'll cut it in a few different ways. But let's start on the short-term rental side. 85% of short-term rentals are owned or operated by mom and pops. So that's that accounts for 7.5 million of the roughly 8 million, 8.5 million total properties on Airbnb. And what that means though, a a lot of these properties aren't actually live and bookable 365 days a year. Mm -hmm. So I bet, you know, if we took a fine tooth comb through Airbnb's earnings this quarter or Q2, my guess is probably inversely would be true. 85% of their revenues are coming from that 15% of professional operators. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd be almost willing to bet my house on it. And it's it's something we don't see in hotels. Uh, I feel like, and sure, I'm going to be biased on this because I'm starting a hotel collection, but I feel like there's a lot of tailwinds for travelers not wanting to stay in a branded Marriott, branded Hilton, branded IHG or whatever. They want to stay in boutiques or places that have a story or they're unique. Uh, they've got a cool restaurant or cocktail bar, or whatever. It uh, it's a lot different than short-term rentals, um, and you can you can tell consistency a little bit easier from an independent hotel than you can from an independent short-term rental. Hmm. Well, I was going to say the the comment you made to me. Uh, before we jumped on the recording was, you know, for us, I think it's really easy and probably anyone watching, um, you know, that's a weird statement to think about. I think when you, when you on the short-term rental side, because we know the brands, you and I know the Sextants, the Altitos, the X, Y, and Z, the Vicasa, Sonder, all these companies, but to a consumer, you know, facing side, uh, like you said, if I asked my roommate, if I asked my parents, if I asked, anybody who travels more likely they're not going to really know a vacation rental brand off the top of their head. Um, no, so not that is, yeah, I, I'd be willing to bet my house on that one too. You walk down the street and ask 10 people if they've heard of Vacasa, you'd be lucky if one of them has, um, Jamie from AirDNA, yeah. 20% of Airbnb's revenues come from professional operators. Is that it? Yeah. Well, interesting. Is that it? 
Well, I, I think would we have need lost to... the house, Jamie. <laughs> I think we need to get Jamie on the show to to cover some of these numbers because obviously uh, this is something he's very well embedded in. I'm going to send him a link actually see if he'll join us. Uh, you know, last minute, but. I actually am shocked because Michael, I I don't have an extra bed for you to come live on, um, so I'm sorry. You're gonna have to be on I mean, your I, own. There's, I, I would love to pick some of that data apart with Jamie. There's lots of properties that are listed that never open calendar availability, or um, or they're only open for a special event that comes to town. So I'm very curious on on uh, where the breakdown of professional line is, Jamie. So if you're, you're still listening, we'd love to, to have it cut by a professional. Um, so to, to your point though, the brand, like you can have three or four properties in the hotel world and people know you like Ace mm-hmm. Hotels. I don't have it in front Good of example. me, but I think they have five properties. But people know the brand Ace, so I think we're we're in a period that Airbnb is the brand for mm-hmm. for better or worse, right? And yeah. that brand does not come with standards, and that's kind of the, the challenge that we all face as short term rental operators to figure out what um, well, what we do. Uh... I was gonna say the chat's going wild right now on on LinkedIn. So this is this is cool to see. Um, but the question from Jeff from Host GPO uh, is, "What is a professional operator?" And I think you just kind of said the, the data, word. I think. Well, the data that Skift shared, they're calling professional operators twenty units or more. So eighty-five yeah. percent of the market comes from people who operate nineteen or fewer. Um, I mean, I believe that in terms of the the breakdown of ownership uh, and operating, but I, I I'd love to chat with Jamie and and understand the perspective of how that is actually holds with uh, percent of revenue as well. Yeah, well, Jamie just messaged back, asked him to join the show. He's in a car right now, so ah, unfortunately, okay. we'll get him on. Think, um, Jamie. I'd say Jamie for you will accept any type of video audio quality decrease uh because you're the man with the numbers so just know that that offer still stands uh, but we want you to drive safe so don't 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 talk and drive at the same time um but like also i think when okay so we're talking about a brand or a professional operator you know i think professionals there's a difference between a host who has one to two maybe five to ten um, I would consider a professional operator, anyone that implements a brand standard inside all of their properties as much as possible. Granted, not every property or home is going to be the same. The The destinations are going to be more spread out. But, you know, Jeff, your company is a great example on how people do that. They get with HostGPO. They create a linen standard, a amenity standard, a X, Y, and Z standard on what they're going to have inside all their properties to keep things consistent through messaging, through any of their other things that they're doing with guests uh, and owner facing uh, tasks. So for me, that's where I see, you know, there's a difference between a host to a, a big, not, not even a big, a professional operator, someone who brings in real standardized standardization with keeping the customization of like that short-term rental feel, right? You, you want to feel like you're in a home, not a hotel, but you have those comfortabilities that everyone's used to. Um, that's just my thing. 
Uh, Andy Medic, can we define professionalism by standards and not necessarily numbers of properties? There are not even as there's not even a standard on what's considered a bed. Yeah, uh, this is yeah. this is another challenge with the space, Andy. Like you can, if you look at data across you know all the companies that put it out, everyone kind of defines it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Five properties or more is professional. Ten or more is professional. This gift article was twenty or more is professional. But I I agree, Andy. It's I've been in air quotes professional rentals that are pretty terrible and i've been in properties that are just managed by one person and that's their only property and they're absolutely fantastic at at one point in airbnb's life cycle you can almost guarantee staying with someone that only managed one property was gonna be a better experience than someone who managed 20 50 100 Um, a lot more of a personal touch and attention to detail uh, and really a more professional feel there, there were things that would lack like instant communications or even door locks, right? Automated door locks versus just getting a key. Yeah. Home tech. Um, when general. I hosted um, my property a few years ago, I would actually meet them at the door, give them the key and I could, you know, you just kind of, make sure that they're not showing up with a hundred people and they're going to, you know, haul in a keg in. So, (laughs) um, Jeff, should STR world start counting by keys instead of homes? Uh, air or sorry. I know transparent used to cut some data by numbers of rooms, not numbers of properties. And, those are those types of comparisons are good when you're comparing with hotels. Um, I don't know how that's going to necessarily help us cutting data on numbers of rooms managed by professionals or not. Um, but it, it definitely leads to some interesting data uh, in direct comparison with short-term rentals and hotels. Um, I've just gotten back from Scotland where I was on a, hotel tour across the country really and it's amazing the every property they were all independents and you could definitely feel it some were absolutely buttoned up you know five star premier luxury and others you know had they were part of a small collection that was owned by someone who didn't live in the country and there just wasn't a whole lot of oversight. And so you see like the, the, the lack of standards across hotels is also evident in, in the independent section, especially Um, you may or may not have coffee in your room. You may or may not have an iron in your room in some of these Mm -hmm. properties. So it's uh, it's not something unique to the short-term rental operators, the challenges and struggles of independent operations. Uh, being part of a branded group or a collection can help because people can know that that stamp of approval is on the property. Uh, that's just something that doesn't exist to, to any large extent in short-term rentals. I'd say the closest 
collection that that I could identify would be Marriott uh, because they have a set of standards to have the properties list on Marriott. I can't think of any too many more off the top of my head. I am heavily sleep deprived today, so apologies. But um, you know, I have a lot of listeners, so somebody can correct me. No, I was going to say that. I love the live engagement. This is really fun for me. I, I would rather have this than you and I just chatting all day by ourselves. So uh, it's nice to see the comments and questions, but I'm also kind of like, I think as I'm hearing your, your thoughts, Michael, and just seeing the comments come in for me, even when I was a hotel manager of an independent boutique, or when I did start off with Marriott's autograph collection, which is independent owned operated property, but still has a flag and brand standards. Uh, you know, I think consistency is still going to be the key and even the big brands, a 716 unit hotel to a 70 unit condominium hotel that for me was basically 70 short term rentals in one building. It was a, it was a multifamily hotel, basically, or multifamily apartment, condo, hotel, whatever you want to kind of phrase it as. Um, and the thing is whether it had the stamp of approval from Marriott or if it was a smaller property with less unit count consistency still sets a tone for the guest on what they can expect, what's professional, what's not professional. So I, I think it's really hard. It comes down to consistency of the standards. I think I've seen a lot of properties that are part of like IHG or choice or whatever, and they don't keep it consistent because there's no one really even though there's a brand even though i know what to expect uh with a a holiday inn versus whatever um you know it has to actually be executed on the property and sometimes the property level itself can be a little bit more lax um, which makes the inconsistency happen because you can have one property that's super on top of it and make sure they hit all their check marks and you know cross their t's dot their i's compared to the other property that doesn't it's it's still consistency lacking so um, yeah. yeah well and since jamie's commented um want to touch on some air dna data that that was put out uh i guess today wow uh um, say if you on, uh yeah if you have the link send it my way for the uh live viewers that we got on right now yeah here we go um so we're we're definitely in the recovery phase for cities. The past two years, we've seen the majority of travel go towards destinations, um, not urban markets. Uh, that number is trending upwards. We're still down pretty significantly from 2019 levels. It looks like as of the most recent data, we're down 21% of 2019 levels. Uh, whereas we've surpassed it in suburban areas uh, up 10%, 10 and 10.8%. So the trend lines are, are going the right direction. You know, for the, the people who are only exposed to urban markets like a Sonder are definitely feeling it, but their trend lines are, are good and the narrative is, is going the right direction. One more point, just anecdote. Uh, and maybe Jamie has some data on this. A lot of people that I, I chatted with throughout the travels last week, they used Airbnb a while, but it seems like there's a, a bit of a resurgence back into hotels. And I think 
people were citing fees as one of them. It's just gotten too expensive to stay. Um, and then personally, like you, you can't just, it, it almost never makes sense to book a short-term rental for one night uh, mm-hmm. with the cleaning fee, especially. So anybody who's doing one night stents is going to stay in a hotel because it's easier and it's cheaper. So I'm very curious, uh, Jamie, to, to find out data on trend lines of, of stays moving back in the direction of hotels or is travel just going haywire right now and, and everybody's yeah winning? Well, I'm, I'm curious because I've been thinking about this a lot. And I think we've talked about it before on the show. If not privately, we've talked about it. But um, I want to see because I, I think we talked two weeks ago, three weeks ago on the show about how the traveler itself or themselves are are fighting against like they're done with Airbnb in a lot of ways. I've heard so many people say I'm tired of having this like outrageous cleaning fee with this amount of chore lists to do upon checkout. If I'm paying a $300 cleaning fee or $150 cleaning fee, why am I expected to do all these things before I leave? And so the big thing I'm seeing is that if the traveler eventually gets away from short-term rentals or at least short-term rental platforms like Airbnb and Verbo, you know, as operators, the question I think comes down to, you know, I think we all know that fees suck. I want to see my nightly rate and what I'm going to pay total after tax. That's what I want to see. Uh, I don't want to see a uh, amenity resort fee for being in, in some a, countries. They're required by law to show that number, um, but not in the U.S. So yeah. um, I 100% agree. But I, I also think part of it's the, well, the standardization. I wasn't done though. Cause I wanted to see, do you think my question really is do our operators going to embed their cleaning fee or cleaning costs into the nightly rate to start getting the, the overall traveler to stop freaking out about all these extra fees and actually make it more of a mental game uh, when it comes to the purchase of the, the vacation or the, the stay. It's a good question. I think the platforms would have to force that to happen for operators too. Because mm-hmm. just the way the revenues flow in short-term rentals is different than in hotels. Um, most hotels have cleaners on staff. Most short-term rentals don't. Um, and short-term rentals don't want to count it as revenue because if they did, then they'd have to share that with the owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it is cleaner to have them separated. Now, is that what the consumer wants? No. Absolutely not. So there's the there's a predicament we're, that we're in. Do you cater towards the owners that are the ones that you can't have any revenue coming in the door without them, or yeah. guests who you can't have any revenue coming in the door without them? So well, that's I've the challenges of the marketplace. Yeah, as an operator myself, that I've seen whether whatever property management software you're using, we've like embedded safely into our nightly rate. And once we get the payout, it still shows it separated. But to the guests, they when they're booking, they don't see an extra fee. So thinking if Airbnb can do that for uh, you know, a damaged waiver, right? Like that's pretty much what we're putting into um, our property management software, which pushes to Airbnb, which increases the nightly rate based off of the fee divided by the nights. 
to me, if they can do that, then a cleaning fee, you know, obviously is a bigger chunk of change than a damage waiver from safely. But um, I don't know. I just think. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely doable. It's yeah. absolutely doable. Um, I I also think they they may not want to hide the cleaning fee in just because they're they're usually so darn expensive. You know, if mm-hmm. you're going somewhere for one night and there's a hundred and fifty dollar cleaning fee, you could stay at a hotel for one hundred and eighty five dollars. Then it's a or it's less. A um, yeah, but that's where this kind of arc of where it makes sense to stay uh if you're in a short terminal for four nights it's a little bit different than if you're there for one night so we've always seen longer uh length of stays in short terminals and you know that's one of the reasons the second is if you have a family or friends you want your own space if it's four nights but if it's just one night you can kind of suck it up and and get through it but Yeah, a lot to unpack on this show. Um, I think uh, I think it'd be great to get Jamie in because I'm I'm a bit flabbergasted at the Airbnb's twenty percent of their revenues only is from uh, professional operators. So curious how AirDNA describes professional operator, um, yeah. and then I'd love to to dive deeper on on that number because you know the the 80 20 rule i would have assumed held true so <laughs> yeah well join us, good thing you good thing you didn't lose your house but uh good i was gonna say uh um jamie is gonna join he says he's available so i sent him a link so once we get him uh get him through onto the channel we'll be good to go and dive into those numbers um but we do have one question uh, from Andy again. What's your opinion on bundling operating cost fees such as cleaning into nightly rate relative to the hotel uh, around drip fees, extra cleaning fees, resort fees? Do we need to be careful on bundling? I think, yeah, there's a couple things we could go into that, which we kind of already did. But uh, before yeah, we keep... I, mean, I, I would flip that back to you, Andy, if, if you're traveling and staying in a property, would you rather see this fee, that fee, another fee, or it all just kind of bundled in for me yeah. when I check into a resort hotel and there's a $15 resort fee, but I'm there for work. I'm not going to the pool. I'm not going to the gym. I'm not using their amenities. I always ask just, I don't want the resort fee because I'm not using the pool. Yeah. Um, the answer is it's always built in there anyway. You can't can't really get rid of it. But what am I getting for that extra money? What am I getting for this fee, that fee, the other fee? Yeah. Uh, people don't like being feed to death. It's it's frustrating as a, a traveler, as a guest. Um, so my inclination would be to to bundle it all together. Now, if there's if there's a legit resort fee because your property is in a community that forces you to yeah. have a ten dollar a stay fee, fine. Pass that on. Explain it to the guests why it's yeah. there. Uh, but if it's just fee 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 and there's no explanation, uh, my guess is is someone who's in a very similar boat um, can get the booking and, and you probably won't yeah 
Agreed. Well, uh, without further ado, we have our new and good friend, Jamie Lane, joining us from Air DNA. Welcome to the podcast, Jamie. Yay. How are you doing, my man? <laughs> good. Thanks for having me. It was funny of listening course. in. You guys talking about the data, I thought I'd chime in. No, we need no, it. That, we need it. I was gonna seriously, I was like, we we we're not data analysts and, and experts like you, so uh it makes sense to have you join, especially with that comment. You got us off guard. So uh <laughs> let's let's jump big. Can you like explain what you guys have really discovered from this 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 report and what do you guys consider a professional manager? That's what I want to know too. Yeah, I mean, we've got quite a different ways that we track it um, in the SCIFT report. And we just, like in our standard report, we break it out like uh, one unit host, two to five unit hosts, five to nine, five to 20, 21 plus. And they sort mm -hmm. of pulled out the 21 plus as a professional. Uh, we also track it by sort of a management company. So how many units does Vicasa have versus Sonder versus any of these other companies. So we break it down quite a few different ways. But even like in that 21 unit plus, like only about probably less than half. And can you get like a branded name associated with it? So even when you look at it that way, like it gets to be a, a pretty small percent of the overall pie. And what like floors me in the data is just how much is still dominated by people with just one unit. So when you like when we think about like Airbnb's like inventory and they've got over six million um, uh, active units, like almost two and a half million of those are people with just one unit. Like, yeah. So pause, let's pause there, Jamie. Yeah. And you and I have spoken about this briefly in the past on the two and a half that, that just have one unit. Mm -hmm. How many of those are actually active? Like how many of those can you book 300 nights a year or more? Uh, it depends. Well, 300 nights a year, like, that becomes interesting in different markets, right? If you're in C Cape Cod and you've got or the Hamptons, like you're only renting out 120 nights a year anyway because of the seasonality. Sure. And yeah. so much of the industry is very seasonal, especially when you start looking at Europe, when like three-fourths of the revenue is generated during just three months of the summer. Like looking at just like units that are available full-time really pulls back a, a lot of the industry. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I guess I, what I'm trying to parse together is how many listings are available for an event here and there versus like available year round, but they may only get booked hundred. Yeah. And the, the thing that we look at for that is how many are available in any given month, how many nights are available, how many properties have availability in that month. So for the one unit host of the two point is roughly 2.3 million. Um, like in June, 1.7 million of those had availability in June or had a booking in June. Okay. So a pretty good chunk. Yeah. Interesting. And we, we love some data on the hotel versus shorts and rental trends too. Do you have anything on that? Yeah, so I'm actually in the middle of a big study we're doing with um, STR with Smith Travel Research, 
that we're going to release in a month. Um, so it's going out um, at the Hotel Data Conference um, in Nashville, uh, which yep. is for data nerds, like yeah. <laughs> one of the holy grails <laughs> of conferences. Uh, and it uh, just matches up that it's the same week um, as DARM uh, this year in Nashville. Mm. So if you're looking yeah. for a full week of just data, yeah. like head to Nashville and uh, it's the, the most exciting week of the year for you, Jamie. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, uh, Jamie, uh, any chance that the GMH listeners will get a sneak peek for that week while you guys are out, we can cover it on the show. Or uh, yeah. do we have to do we have to be in Nashville to to get that? No, we're do, we're going to be putting out a report with it. Um, I'm high level. I'm the trend of sort of short term rentals to hotels. Like as and mm. no surprise, like it went way up during the pandemic. Uh, yeah. It did come down, but the overall trend is still I'm going up of short term rentals continuing to erode sort of I'm uh, hotel revenue, hotel demand. Um, and what was interesting though, is through, there's this long-term trend line of like, there's a percent or two a year of short-term rentals getting a, a bit more of the overall pie of travel revenue. Yeah. And essentially we reverted back to the trend line um, okay. of um, in 2022. So, so huge you know. spike kind of fairly dramatic. Uh, retraction and then and then back to the the mean yeah and a big piece of it is what's going on in the cities so you think about hotel supply and it's very much fixed like you've got that hotel like there are only a handful of hotels that permanently closed and even those like Times square hilton's coming back uh it's under new ownership the old owners and took quite a hit on that property but it is coming back uh, and if all those hotels could have converted to apartments, they probably would have. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, in short-term rentals, like it was really easy to do that. So, I yep. mean, yeah. most of the major cities, like supply is still off by fifty percent, um, and wow. that's meant in the urban areas that hotels are now getting a much greater share um, of the traveler dollar than pre-pandemic. Do you see a lot of that supply rejoining the short-term world or do you think it'll be ages or? I think it'll be ages. Uh, we've seen, even with demand coming back in these cities, we've seen almost no recovery or no recovery in demand. Occupancy still below 2019 levels. So it's not like it's all concentrating in a smaller 9% of the properties. Yeah. Uh, and and with the regulation that's put in place uh, now in a lot of these cities, like it's really hard for supply to leave with new regulation, uh, but it's even harder for new supply to sort of people to make that investment decision with really stringent regulation. So uh, in Boston, in New York, San Francisco, even L.A., there has been quite a bit of new regulation put in place or was put in place right prior to the pandemic that is yeah. really going to sort of impact the rate of recovery in the markets. And then supply and demand, if there's fewer properties available on short-term rentals in these urban centers, rates go up significantly, which squeezes out kind of your average traveler uh, potentially. Are you seeing rates go up dramatically or no, not really? No, and it's because the occupancy still hasn't recovered. So it's, it's occupancy that pushes rates 
So yeah. if all of a sudden an urban travel comes back really strong, there's um, half the number of units, like we could see occupancy push up much stronger and, and, and the revenue and opportunity in these urban areas for the existing host just become unbelievable and rate re pressure really start to grow. But we haven't started to see that yet. Interesting. All right, last I'm, last question of the rapid fire because I've been <laughs> all this. Is there a significant uptick with properties associated with a national or regional brand, or the single host is just as competitive as the pseudo branded property next door? Yeah, recent trends have been more and the the growth of supply coming from professional managers compared to individual hosts is definitely uh, skewed towards professional hosts. Uh, and a lot of the sort of weight I put towards that is the type of markets that are growing the strongest. So it's mostly sort of coastal mountain destinations where the property managers sort of dominate already. So the fact that we're sort of over-indexing supply to those type of markets like a, a Destin, a Gatlinburg, um, a Myrtle Beach, uh, that's where the supply is really coming in. And and in those markets, and 70, 80% of supply is managed by a professional host. So that th that's sense. where I've seen a lot of the trends. Uh, there are some cities, especially in the South, Southeast, like Atlanta, Phoenix, Houston, Dallas, uh, sort of major cities where supply has been growing really strong. And that actually has a good mix of both individual hosts and some professional managers. But it, in those cities, it still over-indexes um, as mostly individuals, people with one to sort of 10 to 15 units. Makes sense because in theory, that's where they're living and they can operate yeah. it themselves locally and not. Yep. Managing a property remotely is challenging and at, based on my experiences uh, of traveling last week the the owner operators that are right there on site are significantly higher level of detail than your remote groups so awesome yeah. jamie we'll appreciate it you're uh, a wealth yeah. of knowledge and i'm glad i didn't <laughs> yeah, coming in <laughs> <laughs> yeah coming in no, i was gonna coming comment in clutch i was that. wondering where this house was that i won <laughs> 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 that's too good well uh seriously jamie thanks for hopping on last minute that comment really sparked a big conversation for our live chat which was really great and uh obviously there's a lot of data on, to unpack so i think we need to get you on again in the future to have you the whole episode because uh 25 minutes of michael and i going back and forth versus the 10 minutes of nuggets that you dropped is you know uncomparable for the listeners so i would love to have you back on the show one day uh, so we can no, get into numbers a little bit deeper, for sure. Maybe I, I'm, in, I'm in Denver, Denver all month um, at AirDNA headquarters. Uh, so it's, great, awesome. I'm I, yeah. I'm in Englewood. I'm like 20 minutes down the road. So uh, maybe let's meet up for cocktail, coffee, one of those two. Yeah, no, I'm I'm staying in Englewood, so I bet we're right nearby. Hey, so, all right, let's all right. Do I'll hit fun. you up. I'll hit you up. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do we'll do it live in my studio here if you can see it. But yeah, we'll it'll be great. Um, no, thank you so much, Jamie. And then uh, Michael, any last comments from your end, or you got all your rapid fire questions out of there? 
No, I wasn't prepared with rapid fires today because this was uh, out of the blue. But thanks for for hopping in, Jamie. Yeah, Jamie. Seriously. Well, all right, listeners, everyone who's watching live, everyone who is re-watching or re-listening, check us out again next week. We're going to have Jamie back on the show one of these days. And uh, thank you for tuning in.